All right, I, I want to ask you. Uh, I want to. I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever tried to test someone before? Yeah. Have you ever tried? You tried to push the boundaries. You tried to. You tried. You tried to push the limits of how far you could get them to go. Maybe it was a, a parent, a friend, or a sibling. But one try. One time, I tried to test my mom. I, I was in elementary school. I, I came home on a Friday uh, afternoon after school. And I told my mom, hey, mom, I had a friend who invited me to sleep over tonight. He invited me to sleep over to his house. And my mom said, and I asked, could I go? Mom, can I go to this friend's house tonight? Can I sleep over and hang out? My mom says, that's fine. You can go over there. But you got to clean your room first. You got to clean your room. And I hate cleaning my room. Even to this day, I hate cleaning my room. So, but but this, <laughs> this, was, this was the one thing that she asked me to do before I could go over to my friend's house. So I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to clean my room. So I go in my room, and it's a complete mess. It's a disaster. I've got clothes on the floor. I've got toys on the ground, school books everywhere. And so, okay, I was like, all right, got to clean my room in order to go to my friend's house. So I start picking up my clothes. I had a bunk bed at the time, a wooden bunk bed. Does anyone else have a bunk bed in here? I'm like, yes, let's go on my bunk bed, people. So I throw my clothes on top of the bunk bed. I, I throw my clothes under the bed. I throw my toys and, and, and drawers and my hamper. I'm like, and I go back out to my mom. I'm like, okay, mom, I'm done cleaning. I'm done cleaning my room. She walks in. She just looks at me like I'm crazy. She's like, this is not clean. This is not clean. She said, you need to do it again. You need to try to clean it again. So I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to clean it again. So I clean it again. I put some clothes, and have you, have you ever put, uh, like, dirty clothes in, in the clean hamper? Or uh, c clean clothes in your dirty hamper, just because you don't want to hang them up? So that's what I did. I threw a bunch of clean clothes in a dirty hamper. I threw some more toys under the bed, and it was a little more clean than the last time. So I, okay, Mom, how about now? She walks in, and she says, well, this isn't really clean. This isn't really what I was expecting. And she gave me an ultimatum. She said this. I'm going to give you one more chance to clean up your room, and if you fail to clean up your room, you can't go to your friend's house tonight. So mom, mama here is laying down the law. So I go back in my room. I know I have to clean it good, or I can't go to my friend's house tonight. So I walk back in, and I actually clean my room, right? I was pushing my mom as far as I could get her to go to see how of like a, a least I could clean it. I wanted to clean it the least I could to get away with the most, right? So I, I, I clean my room, I do it to the fullest this time, and she's like, you know what, this is good, you can go to your friend's house tonight. So just like I tested my mom, we're going to see tonight that that's what the Israelites did. We're in week two of our, our teaching series, After Egypt, and in this series we are looking at the Israelites after they were rescued from Egypt. After Moses convinced Pharaoh to let them go, and after Moses parted the Red Sea. Now the Israelites are unsettled, they don't have a place to call home, but they are not wandering aimlessly. God is leading them towards the promised land. What we have seen and what we are going to see tonight is that the Israelites continue to be rebellious. Last week we saw how God provided manna and quail for the Israelites to eat. God gave them specific instructions and he did this to test them. To test how much they trusted him, to test how much faith they had in God. But the Israelites failed this test. They showed that they didn't trust God, and we saw that the Israelites' testing revealed their level of trust in God. And let me tell you, I, I wish this week's message changed that story, 
But unfortunately, the Israelites did not learn from their past mistakes. Last time we saw them complain about no food. Now tonight, we're going to see them complain about water. Tonight, we are going to see how God provided the Israelites from water with water from the rock. This takes place right after God provided them with manna and quail. So right after uh, when Morgan talked about manna and quail last week, this is happening right after. This water from the rock, this is, this is six months, five months, just a very short period of time. They're setting out from the desert of sin, traveling to where the Lord tells them to go. And this is where we are going to pick up in Exodus chapter 17. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They, call, they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, so they, they quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink, they said. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? So Rephidim, in, in this context, it means rest stop. So Rephidim was a place in the desert to where the Israelites, or, or people who were traveling in the desert, could go and rest. You know, so the desert, we know, is very hot, it's very dry. So at, at this place of, of Rephidim, there was shade and there was water. Has anyone ever been on a road trip before? Most of all of us, right? Have, do, does anyone like to stop? You like to stop? I don't, I don't like to stop either. <laughs> have any of you ever been to a rest stop before? So most of all of us, right, they have, they have vending machines there. They have bathrooms. They have a place you can walk your dog and stretch your legs, right? So this was kind of the same place Rephidim was to the Israelites, a place where they could rest, a place where they could get shade and water. But here's the interesting thing is when they came to this place, there was no water to be found. So they were, they were thirsty, they wanted a drink, and they were expecting Rephidim to have, a, to have water there. That they could stop, they could get some shade, they could, get a, they could get a drink of water. So they started to complain about how they were thirsty. But this complaint is valid. The human body can survive a, a long time without food, right, between one to two months, which I don't even believe. There's no way I could uh, survive one month without food. Um, without water, the human body can only survive two days. The human body can only survive two days without water, so that the basis of their complaint is valid. But it's how they turn to Moses that, that we see in verse 1. It's the attitude behind it, right? The, their attitude behind Moses, they're angry, they're bitter, they're frustrated. I can't believe there's no water here. I, there was supposed to be water, now there's not. What are we going to do? And it, it says in verse 1 that they quarreled with Moses. It shows that this attitude behind their, their voice and their frustration it shows a lack of faith and that trust is the issue. Not so much just not having water. Right? So water was the issue, not having water. And we see that, that their complaint is valid, right? We need water to survive. And they're probably very thirsty in the hot sun. But it's how they approached Moses. It's the anger. It's the frustration. It's the bitterness behind their voice. That's the problem. They are no longer seeing that God is providing a gracious gift. Instead, they see it as an expectation. Right, that's what they said, give it to us. They don't see that God providing as a gracious gift. They see it as an expectation. I cannot believe there's no water. Right? And, and they don't even trust that God is there. But as soon as they see that there's no water, they start arguing with Moses. They start being angry at Moses, frustrated, yelling at him. Right? And we see that that trust is the issue. And as we go on in verse 2, we see the word test. And in this context, it means to put someone to a test to see if they are faithful or not. 
to see if they were faithful or not. But why would they test God about water? Why, why, why are the Israelites saying that God isn't here, he's not here with us? Why are they fighting with Moses about water? Right? God has provided in so many ways for the Israelite people. He split the Red Sea. He's provided food for them. He has provided them warmth and the cold and shelter at night. He has basically given them a GPS system of cloud by day and fire by night. But here's the problem. The Israelites have become so concerned with themselves in the wilderness that they are constantly forgetting the goodness of God and what he has done for them. And that's the problem with the Israelites is as soon as an inconvenience happens, their trust in God is gone. They don't remember what God has done. All these things that the Lord has done, he split the Red Seas, provided food for them, he's given them uh, warmth from the cold at night. But as soon as they have something or don't have something that they need, their, their, their trust in God is gone. The Israelites have become so concerned with themselves in the wilderness that they constantly are forgetting the goodness of God. But try not to judge the the Israelite people so fast because that's what we do sometimes. God will will do something amazing in our life, and then when something bad happens or we don't get what we want, we lose sight of what God just did. God will will bless us by answering prayer or, or giving us something we don't deserve. But when a trial or a hardship rolls around, we forget all that God has done. Right, and this happens so often, just like the Israelite people, is we'll pray for something, God will deliver, God will provide, but man, as soon as a trial rolls around, it's over. We forget about what God has done in our life, what God has done for us. Right, and this is exactly what was happening to the Israelite people. They have, they have forgotten how God has delivered them time and time again. But as soon as they don't have water, it's over. Right? And, and this goes back to our, our sinful nature as humans. That if we don't get what we want, when we want, we start not trusting the Lord. And this is exactly what the Israelites were doing. I want to jump back into Exodus 17. And it says, starting in verse 3, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So you, you can see that their anger is now getting worse. Their frustration is now getting more. They're getting more bitter. Before, they were just angry at Moses and yelling at him, hey, why is there no water here? There's supposed to be water. Why is there no water? Now they're saying, why did you bring us out of Egypt? You're going to kill our children and our, li- our livestock, their cows and, the, and their donkeys. Right? All their livestock is going to die because they're blaming it on Moses. But let me, rem- let me remind you that Egypt was no fun place for them. Egypt was a, was a place of captivity and hurt. And when God and Moses delivered them out of Egypt, man, they should be thankful. But as soon as something bad happens, they're ready to throw in the towel. Right? But then in verse 4, it says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. We see here that the Israelites are mad, and they're angry because things aren't going exactly the way that they wanted. They were ready to, to kill Moses. They were ready to kill the leader that God's provided for them. This is the anger that we're seeing from the Israelites, that they were literally ready to kill someone after this is the guy that helped them get out of Egypt. This is what, I mean, it's insane, and they were literally, they're literally willing to kill him. And let's think about that. Like, yeah, that's a good plan. Kill Moses. Kill the guy that brought you out of Egypt with God's help. 
Okay, so let's just say they killed him, all right? Let's say, let's say they killed Moses. Now what? What are they going to do now? Now they have no leader or water, right? It doesn't get them water back, so you can see this, this cycle that they're going through. The anger is getting worse, and it's leading to irrational decisions. Arthur W. Pink, a, a famous Bible teacher, once wrote this about the people of Exodus. They would rather lean on a cobweb of human resources rather than a gracious, all-wise, and all-powerful God. Let me say that again. They would rather lean on a cobweb of human resources rather than a gracious, all-wise, and all-powerful God. And he's basically saying this. We would rather figure out life's trials on our own. Now, our resources are nothing compared to God's. He calls them a cobweb. When you, when you think of a spider web, what do you think of? It's, it's weak, right? You can easily destroy it. You run your finger through it, and it's broken. That's what he's calling our will. That's what he's calling our plan, to do things the way that we want. He's calling it weak, that it's not stable. You, you can't lean on it and be strong, right? Our resources, our way of living is weak compared to what God has in store for us. That because we think or, or we feel that God isn't near us, we try to test him, right? And it says, okay, God, I'm going to do this my way. I feel like you're not here. I feel like you're not listening to me. I'm going through this trial, man, and you're not here. I'm struggling. You're not by my side. I don't feel your presence with me. And this always leads us to destruction. This is always going to lead us to destruction, doing things on our own. And we saw that the Israelites... Their plan of attack was to kill the leader that God provided for them. But it's super important here to see what Moses did rather than first than rather what he did last. I want us to focus on this. He went to God first. Moses went to God first. And we have to have that kind of mindset and obedience. We have to go to God first in, first in our troubles and not our last. You see, it says here right in verse 4, as soon as the Israelites are, are coming to Moses, angry and frustrated, Moses could have done a lot of different things. Moses could have snapped back at the Israelites saying, do you not remember what God has done? Do you not remember how God has provided, how he delivered for us? Literally just a couple months ago, he delivered food for us when we needed it. He could have snapped back at the Israelites like that, or he could have gone to his brother Aaron, right? Aaron was with him. Aaron was with Moses, helping him lead the people of Israel. He could have gone to his brother Aaron for wise counsel, and it's not bad to go to your friends for wise counsel, right? Aaron was a godly man. He followed in God's footsteps and in Moses' footsteps, and he was with Moses the whole time. So we could see, we could see that Moses had different options to do. He had different options to go to when the people of Israel were angry at him. But it said he cried out to the Lord. He went to God first and not last. Exodus, uh, we, could, we jump back here to verse 5, and it says the Lord answered Moses, right? So, uh, so we see that Moses, he's cried out to God. He said, God, help me. I need your help. These people, are, they're mad at me. They're literally about to stone me. That's how angry they are at me. God, I need your help. I need, I need your provision. And so he, so he prays. He cries out to the Lord. And we see here in verse 5 that the Lord 
answered Moses. He answered Moses. He said, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with, with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the Israelites quarreled and because they test the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? All right, so we see this situation now where, where Moses is at his, at his weak point. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to turn, so he cries out to God. God, I need your help. And God answers Moses' prayer. He answers Moses' prayer in the form of a miracle. He tells Moses to go with his staff and a few elders of the Israelites. God tells him to go in front of the people of Israel so everyone can see. God wants them to see this miracle that he's about to provide. He's about to see this. He wants everyone to see what God is about to do. Not Moses, but God. He said, take your staff and strike the walk. When you do, water will come out for people to drink. So what does Moses do? He listens to God. Moses listens to the Lord, and he does what he tells him to do. When he hits the rock with the staff, water erupts from the rock, and the people get the water that they wanted, and their thirst is quenched. So we see that God has provided. God has provided just like he said he would, and he has delivered the water that the people needed. But I want you to, I want you to focus on something else. I don't want you just to focus on God just giving them what they want. That's great in the fact that God has provided for his people, but he wants us to see something else. He's not just giving them what they want. Instead, God is showing them, right here, God is showing them that he is the only one that can quench their thirst. That God is, he is the only one that can quench their thirst. He is the only person that can save them, provide for them, and lead them. He's showing them that through life's trials, through life's difficulties, I am the only one that can provide for you. That's it. You can go to, to different things. You can try to do this on your own, by yourself, live your own will. But God is showing, I provided the water for you to drink. I provided for your thirst to be quenched. He showed us that he is the only person that can save them. Not Moses, not his magical staff. But he's the only person that can save them, provide for them, and lead them. John 4, 13 through 14 says this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We see here again in scripture that Jesus is claiming and telling us that he alone is the living water. And he is the only one we need to quench life's thirst. All right, so we see God showing the Israelite people, hey, don't go to anything else. Come to me. Put your burdens on me, your trial on me. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. It's exactly what he's going in John 4. I'm here. You don't need to run to anything else. I'm the only one that can quench what you're looking for. I'm the only one that can provide and deliver for you. And we try to run around and do our own thing, our own will, and where does it always lead? It always leads to destruction. 
right? But Jesus and, and the Lord, God is showing them that, man, I am the one that wants to carry your burdens. I'm the one that wants to carry the weight of your sin, something you can't hold up by yourself. And we see here in the last verse that the Israelites still don't trust God. They still doubt if he's there. They even say, is the Lord among us or not? So even after, this is great, even after God provides, he, he literally has water from a rock. Water comes out of a rock for the people to drink because there was no water at the rest stop. And even after that, they question if God is with them. They question if God is there. So think about this. In, in fewer than six months, this is all the Israelite people have seen. They've seen ten plagues, the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire, the opening and shutting of the Red Sea, the miraculous sending of manna and the quail, and now this. So in the past six months, they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And at the end of the verse, they ask, is God even among us? Is God even among us? You see, the Israelite people were stuck in this cycle of rebellion. They were stuck in this cycle that every time we go through something, every time we experience a trial, that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through this cycle of rebellion. They just wanted to rebel against the Lord. Yeah, God, we see you do this. We, we, we've seen you provide time and time again, but you know, I, can't, I don't know if I can put my full trust in you yet. I don't know if I can put my full faith in you yet. So they're stuck in this cycle of rebellion. They experience a trial, right? They, they first experience a trial, which is having no water to drink and having no home. So they're going through this, this trial, this hardship in their life where they're thirsty and they're tired and they're homeless. They're, they're just wandering through the wilderness, right? That's the trial that they're experiencing. So that trial, that going through that hardship then leads to doubt. It leads to us doubting God. God will provide for them and if he's there for them, right? So they start doubting if God is even there. Oh my gosh, there's no water at this, this stop. I'm thirsty, I'm dying. God, are you even here? God, are you even listening to me? Right? So through that trial, through that hardship, we start to doubt if God is there. Then the Israelites try and handle the situation on their own. And they test God, which leads them to destruction. So instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of crying out to the Lord first like Moses did, they want to kill him instead. Right? This is them living their own way. This is them trying to handle the situation on their own. It's not them trusting in the Lord. So they try to handle the situation on their own, which leads them to destruction. We see the, the, the point of no return, that they're literally ready to stone them. Right, so you can see that they're at the bottom of the pit. They're broken. They need help. But then they realize that they needed God. They realized that they needed God, and God delivered water to them and brought his people back to himself. So we see at the end of the story that Moses, that God answered Moses' prayer. He answered exactly what Moses cried out to the Lord to ask him to provide. God, I need your help. God answered. God answered it in a miraculous way. Now, I want to look at this cycle, and I want to compare it to our own life. And I think we get stuck in the same exact cycle of rebellion. So if you can throw that graphic on the screen, this is what happens. First, 
we experience a trial, right? We, we experience a trial first. Someone we love gets sick or dies. Our parents get divorced. We, we start struggling with anxiety. A, a close friendship that we have is ripped away. So first we experience a season, a trial, a time of hardship in our life, whatever that may look like for you tonight. Right? Something will happen in your life that you weren't expecting. And because of that, because of you experience a trial, you start doubting God. We are really struggling. Feeling alone, it leads us to doubting the Lord. We doubt if God is even there, if he loves us, if he wants, for, wants what's, what's best for us. I know I've done that a million times. So where something bad has happened in my life, something I wasn't expecting to happen, something out of the blue, I just ask God, are you even there? Are you even listening to me? Are you even by my side? And this is what happens. The devil starts telling us lies. God's not here for you. He's not listening to you. He's not by your side. And we start doubting that God is there. When we do this, when we doubt, it leads us to trying to handle it on our own. Trying to live life, our own life, not living by God's instructions, not living by what his word says. We're literally trying to live without God. Right, so this doubt, this doubt of God is there, we're just like, forget it. Forget it. I'm done living this life. I don't want to do it anymore. God, why do bad things keep happening to me? Why am I going through this season of hardship? Do you even love me? Are you even here? Right, and this, and this leads to handling on our own. Whatever, forget it. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to live the life the way that I want. I'm going I'm to I'm put God on the side burner and do life my own way, the way I think it should be done. Well, when we try to handle on our own, what happens? We start to test God. Test, test if he's even there, if he loves us, if he provides for us, right? And we do this by praying, if you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, You'll give me this. God, I've been following you for a long time now, and my grandmother is dying. If you are there, if you love me, save her. And she dies. So through that testing, through that testing, if God is there, it leads us towards destruction. We hit rock bottom. If you are here, you answer this prayer, trying to prove if God is even among us, just like the Israelites asked. Lord, are you even here? And you'll do this by testing him, asking him, God, if, if you do this for me, then I'll believe in you. And this leads towards destruction. It leads towards sin. It leads towards feeling alone, feeling helpless and hopeless. I feel like you've lost all confidence in God being there because you tried to live your life, you tried to go through this trial by, your, by yourself. You tried to do it on your own. And now you've hit rock bottom. You feel destroyed, you feel, you feel hopeless and helpless. Is there even a way out? Is there even a way out? When we feel hopeless and we reach this point, then we realize we need God. Unfortunately, we don't realize we need God until 
after the fact that we hit rock bottom. That's when a lot of us realize, huh, maybe I should have gone to God first instead of last. It's not until we hit the point of no return, you're feeling broken, hopeless, helpless. You have this bitterness, this frustration, this anxiety is just taking over. That's when we realize we need God. And when we realize we need God, when we come to this realization, we come back to God and God delivers. God shows up. He shows up to our hopelessness, to where we are, and to lead us forward. Right? God, is, he's always next to us. He's always near us and by our side. This cycle is a very dangerous way of living. Because when we do this, our relationship with God is unhealthy. It's not thriving. But instead, it's hurting, it's struggling. And we need to learn from the Israelites. We need to break this cycle. But how do we do this? How do we break this cycle? Because what you're doing, this cycle right here, man, it's hurting your relationship with the Lord. That's not how God has designed it. God's not designed it where as soon as something bad happens, you forget about him and you try to do it on your own. No. That's not how God's designed our relationship with him. I want to give you three ways to break this cycle tonight. Three simple ways, and then we'll be done. Number one, acknowledging that God has a purpose for your life. That's the first point. Acknowledge that God has a purpose for your life. Romans 8.28 says, And if we know, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Man, the things that you go through, the hardships that you struggle with, the trials that you, that you run through, God has a purpose for them in your life. I know it's hard to see now, and you're just asking God, why? Why do you let this happen to me? Man, God has a purpose for these trials in your life. He wants to grow your faith. He wants to mature you. He wants, to, he wants you to, he wants him to, to bring him back to him, to bring you back to him. Right, number two, stop depending on yourself. You can't do it, so stop trying. I say that with a level of experience. I've tried to do things by my own. I've always led to destruction. Start being more God-reliant and not self-reliant. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And that's what we do. We try to lean on our own understanding, what we know. Remember what Arthur W. Pink said? It's a cobweb of resources. Your resources are going to fail you. So stop depending on yourself to get through life's hardships. Number three, the last one, make God your first priority, not your last resort. Make God your first priority, not your last resort. Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Right, just like Moses, he could have done so many other things. We can do so many other things when, when a trial comes and a hardship comes. But here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to go to him first, not last. Start making God a priority in your life to go to him first, not last, not when you've hit rock bottom. So tonight, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, where are you at in this cycle? Where are you at in this cycle of rebellion? Some of you might be all good. Your relationship with God is a, is a good place. Man, that's great. But some of you in here might be struggling. 
you might be in one of these places in this cycle. Maybe, maybe you've entered this, this, this time, this, this, this trial, this hardship in your life. Maybe you've just entered that. Maybe something has just happened that you weren't expecting. Maybe you're in that, that doubting God's, that, that part of, uh, of the cycle that you're doubting God. God, you're not there. You're not listening to me. You're not here for me. Right? Maybe you're, you're in that part of the cycle. Maybe you're, maybe you're at, at rock bottom where you don't see a way out. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't think God is there for you. So tonight, wherever you are, whatever part of this cycle you're in, know this. Know this. God is there with you. He loves you, and he has a purpose for your life. He's there with you. He loves you, and he has a purpose for your life. So let go of your frustrations. Let go of your doubt, and trust in him to break this cycle of rebellion. I'm going to say one more thing, and we're going to be done. Psalms 34, 8. This is what it says. This is what David is writing in Psalms. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Learn from the Israelites' mistakes and trust in God because he is there for you. He's going to provide for you and he is there to lead you. Take refuge in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for everything you are doing in our life and through the Bell Shoals Student Ministry. God, if there, are, if there are students here tonight that are struggling, God, I want to lift them up to you. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're going through. But God, you do. Because you are there with us in the trial. God, I pray that these students are encouraged tonight from what your word says, from what you've shown to the Israelite people and to Moses, that he, that you, are the only one that can quench life's thirst. You're the only one that can fill our needs. God, we thank you for being all-powerful, all-gracious, and all-wise. We thank you for, for being able to take what we can't carry, the weight of our sin, the weight of our trials, our hardships. God, you're there in it all. God, we love you, and we thank you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray.